Well, again, welcome. My name is Jeff, one of the elders here at the church. Glad you've come to, to be with us. We're actually taking a, a one-week break from our sermon series in the book of Ruth. And just the reason for that is because it is such a, uh, it's written narratively, it's a story as we follow it historically, uh, it's easier to sometimes process it with one voice. So uh, I'm the one who's preaching the whole series of Ruth. David is preaching the whole one. But David is actually at a um, retreat or a, a training in Florida with one of the networks that we're a part of. So uh, Jeremy Appel is preaching over there. And today we have Scott Clifton, uh, one of our uh, faithful members, community group leaders, faithful servant of the Lord um, here to preach for us, and he's going to lead us in the Word today, and it's a great gift that we have that, and we have him to do that. But I want to encourage us to pray together before we begin. We'll pray for Scott, and then pray for us to hear as we hear the Word. So if you would, join with me. Father, thank you so much for Scott. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you for his love for the church and his people. Uh, and uh, Lord, help us today as we hear this word preached to be challenged, to, be, to, to receive that challenge well, and to be transformed. Lord, please give us greater faith and as, we, uh, we, as we have eyes to see and ears to hear this truth. Uh, we love you, we thank you, and um, we long to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, All right, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Um, so if you want to find yourself there, it's on page 948 in the Bibles that are in the pews, uh, page 948. And what is our tradition at uh, Maranatha? We stand at the reading of God's Word. So I invite you to stand uh, with me as we read this text together. And it says this, in, starting in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we give you thanks for this morning. We give you thanks uh, for the opportunity to open your word. I pray that your spirit would be our teacher this morning and that we would hear from you. And now let me invite you to pray for yourself. And your prayer simply might be, God, may I hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. So the genre of the book of Hebrews sometimes can be best described as a sermon, all right? So um, it was written down, and if you were to read it from cover to cover as a sermon, they say it would take about 70 minutes. Um, and there's a, a preaching and a teaching and, and, and a, a, an ex- exhortation and expounding throughout the the chapters of Hebrews. And it was designed for Jewish believers that were coming out of Judaism and to teach them that um, Christianity has superseded it. Meaning this, it expounds chapter after chapter that Christ is greater. He was a great, he's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the temple. As a greater high priest, he was a complete and greater sacrifice, all right? Um, we're going to leave that for another day. We're not going to look at the whole book of Hebrews this morning. But the main 
point, if you will, in these two verses is really an exhortation. In fact, if you want to think about it in the whole book of Hebrews, it's really an exhortation to run. It's, it's to run a life of faith. And this word run, I don't know, it, it might be, that, that word might be foreign to you. <laughs> you, you might not run a lot. Um, but uh, this word conveys an intense desire to get to someplace quickly. It doesn't mean to meander, to wander, to walk casually. It means to run, to get after it, to go there quickly to exert yourself, to run, right? That's what it means, all right? So um, this command does not come out of the blue. Uh, the whole point of this book is really, it's this church made a profession of faith. And then for some reason, they went passive. They started snacking instead and coasting instead of diving into God's word and really living out a life of faith. And so this this. This pastor, this writer, he expounds on how Christ is greater, and then he, he preaches and then he exhorts them to live a life. And so you see in, in like chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Take care, brethren, lest any should have an unbelieving heart. Right? And then in chapter 5, he gets back to it, and he says something like, At this point in your faith journey, you should be teachers. You should be teaching God's word, but you're still like a child using a sippy cup. You know, you're drinking milk instead of sitting down and eating solid food. And that's the condition of the church that's being preached to in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you're taking notes this morning, there's two sim simple uh, points, which are the first... Uh, the demand of faith, and then the second, the, the focus or the object of our faith. So the demand of faith and the focus or object of our faith. So in verse 1, it starts off like this. It says, therefore. And so every good Bible student, whenever you see therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it there for? Right? <laughs> so we have to go all the way back to chapter 10, verse 35, right? Because it acts as a bookend. So Hebrews 12, 1 is one bookend, and 10, 35 is the other bookend, right? So in, in 10, 35, it says this, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Remember that. So that when you have done the will of God, you may have received what is promised. For, it goes on, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so he, he, he gives this idea and this instruction, and then he launches in to what we know in Hebrews chapter 11 as the hall of faith. And if you've ever read it, it's, it's, it's example after example after example of men and women who lived an amazing life of faith. It's people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab. And so the author of this book is using those examples of this is what it means, church, to live by faith. 
And so then in chapter 12, on that other bookend, he goes, we are surra- therefore, you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And those witnesses are the people from chapter 11. That's who, is be- that's who they are being surrounded by. And what did they witness? They witnessed the promises of God. And yet it's different from how we witness it. Because it says in chapter 10, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So these people who lived amazing lives of faith, they believed in God's promise. They believed that he would fulfill those promises. They believed that he would actually do what he said he was going to do, but they didn't live to see it fully come to fruition. So it's it's kind of like this. If this is the cross, they lived on this side looking towards the cross. And we have the opportunity to stand on this side and look back on the cross, right? That's the difference. Uh, We live on different sides. What they anticipated, we remember. What they saw in shadows, we have noonday brightness. They were certain of their convictions, but lacked the full clarity on what God was going to do and how it was going to play out. They stood on this side and looked forward. Friends, we have the opportunity to stand on this side and look back. And so what the writer said, the pastor exhorts, Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And I I swear, as I was studying and thinking about this text, someone added also into my Bible this past week. I've never seen that. I don't remember that. It says, let us also. What's he also referring to? Chapter 11. We have to think back to those people. How did they live? What were their examples? And how do I import that into my life? So faith demands that one, I lay aside every weight. And then two, lay aside every sin that clings. So so what this pastor's doing is using an analogy of a race, right? It's a competitive race, and that's the analogy he's being used. And during a race, you want to make sure that you're um, unencumbered by any, any unnecessary weight. So I had the opportunity, you know, I took the opportunity to run a couple of marathons in Chicago when we were living there. And I had two simple goals in these marathons. I wanted to finish, and I wanted to beat the street sweepers. <laughs> right? I had to do that. I had to run, you know, street sweepers came around uh, six hours. I, I beat them. But what, what was so interesting uh, the first time I ran, and I wasn't ready for this. You know, it's, it's October, it's cold. I have like a long shirt on, my shorts, you know, I'm ready. And I'm getting, you know, I'm way in the back. And um, the gun goes off, and I'm still standing. <laughs> um, and then for the first quarter mile or so, if you've ever run a marathon, you know this, you're running over sweatpants. You're running over warm-up jackets. I'm like, dang, that's an Adidas. That's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need that. I want that. 
I don't need it now, right? But I want that. People were stripping down their clothes. Why? They didn't need it. They needed it to stay warm in the moment. But once that gun sounded, they took it off because it would become a hindrance to them. The further I run, the more conscious I am of the weight I carry. The further I run, the further I go in this life, I become more conscious of what I'm carrying in my life. So what does this weight to us? What does this weight mean? It simply means it's a hindrance. It's an unnecessary burden, listen, that we voluntarily keep. It's unnecessary, but we voluntarily hold on to it. The word actually means in the Greek tumor or swelling. It's something that inhibits us. It, it, um, it retards our progress towards a goal. It's like what Jesus said in Matthew 13, if you're familiar with that chapter, it's all with parables. And, and Jesus gives this famous parable about the four seeds. And, and one of the seeds falls into a soil that's what? Full of uh, thorns. And it, it, the plant grows up, but it's choked. What's it choked by? It's choked by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. It chokes out the faith that could have been. So this begs the question as we think about weight. Does this help or hinder me? Is this, whatever this is, is this going to help me or is this going to hinder me? So you have to ask the question before you start streaming a show. Is this going to help me or is this going to hinder me? Before I start going through my social media, is this going to help me or is this going to hinder me? Before I pour my next drink, maybe your first drink, <laughs> is this going to help me or is this going to hinder me? Amen. See, what's weight for me might not be weight for you. And what's weight for you might not be weight for me. This is super personal. Because Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, what? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Is this going to help me or is this going to hinder me from pursuing Jesus? You got to be willing to ask those questions. It's tough. It's tiring. I don't want to ask that question. I just want to watch this show. <laughs> I'm tired. It's Friday. Is this going to help me or is this going to hinder me? You ask that question with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I wish... The pastor just kind of left it there. I could deal with weight. I'm fine. I can ask those questions. But he just kind of changes gears and just goes a little bit deeper. And he takes that knife and he just kind of turns it, right? And he says also, and the sin which clings so closely. Because faith demands that we lay aside this sin. This, this idea of, of clinging so closely is 
a serious hindrance that encircles you. Think of trying to run with your legs wrapped up with a cord. Challenge. And, And it's easily done to you. It's not hard for this sin to trip you up. Now, now we all have this, and you can't run with sin this race of faith. You can't do it. Sin is a replacement of God in the moment. What, What sin is, it's when you and I say, I want this more than I want God. In the moment. Whatever this is, and we do it every day. It's when we make choices that are antithetical to our belief system. Listen, my orthodoxy is so much better than my orthopraxy. I believe so much better than I live. I don't fully live this life of faith that I'm supposed to live. John Owen said this centuries ago, be killing sin or it will be killing you. But this this passage doesn't seem to be focusing on specific sin. What I mean is this, um, think about the sin that so easily trips you up. That that one that's just, it's easy for you to get tripped up by. Think about that sin. You got it? All right, lean over to your neighbor. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. You take that. Now, I want you to take that sin that you're thinking about and, and think about what's at the root of it. What's at the root of that response in the moment? We sin because there's something about the gospel we're not believing. There's a lack of faith. I guarantee you there's a connection between what you do as sin and what I do as sin and a lack of belief in the gospel in the moment. It's all rooted down to a breakdown in some way, shape, or form to what I believe. Back in the uh, mid-1800s, Henry Varley, he was a British revivalist, he, um, he was having this conversation in an afternoon with a young evangelist uh, from America named D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody uh, was remembering this conversation, which impacted his life. And, and Henry Varley doesn't remember the, the context of the, of the statement that he made, but um, the Spirit of God used what Henry said that day uh, in such a significant way. Uh, Henry Varley said, Moody... The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And and it's like the Spirit of God used that word that Henry gave. And it so went down deep into D.L. Moody that it altered the direction of his life. And Moody later said, by God's help, I aim to be that man. He wanted to be a man of faith. I don't know how many thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions have been impacted by D.L. Moody and his decision to be a man who was fully consecrated to God. 
So the text says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And here it is. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Remember that that verb run is the controlling verb in these two verses, right? That's what what the, the pastor is focusing on. And what are we supposed to run? We're supposed to run this race. Now, race is the word agon in the original text, where we get our word agony. <laughs> We're called to run the agony. That's what he's calling us to do. We're called to run the agony that is set before us. That sounds about as much fun as prepping for a test when you turn 50, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's not fun, this agony. But it's not supposed to be rainbows and unicorns, right? It's not easy parking. It's not quick checkout lines. It's not getting cut off at 6.45 in the morning on Hill Road by a Ford F-150 that's white, right? You know who you are. We're called to endure, right? We're, we're called to endure disappointments, endure diagnoses that are troubling, endure divisions, endure strife. That and just so much more is part of the agon, is part of the agony, is part of the race. And sometimes we don't run so well. Sometimes we trip. Sometimes we fall. We stumble, right? So I'm reading this book. I'm rereading. I try to read this book by John Bunyan, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. I try to read it every three or four years. And he wrote it back in uh, 1678. And John Bunyan wrote it as an allegory to um, Christian. He's the main character. And he's on his way to a celestial city, right? what we know is heaven. And, and what Bunyan does is he illustrates what the, the trials, the, the race, the agony that you and I, as followers of Jesus, uh, travel a, as we move on through this life of faith. Well, anyway, two-thirds of the way through the book, um, Christian finds himself in the Valley of Humiliation. And uh, he meets up with this, what's pictured there, this demon named Apollyon. And this demon begins to attack Christian with the reminders of his weaknesses. He says to him, you did sinfully sleep. You were almost persuaded to go back at the sight of lions. That's a great part of the book. And when you talked of your journey, and this, is, this hits me, you were inwardly desirous of vain glory in all that you say and do. Your pride. And so when Christian defends himself by mentioning Christ's mercy and the pardon of his sin, Apollyon continues to attack and attack in rage. And after a long combat, Christian gains the upper hand only after he accepts what looks like his death. And he grasps the sword, and you can see the sword well, there's a sword at the bottom of the picture. <laughs> promise you it's there. He grasps that sword, and this is what he says. 
Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. And there was confidence in what Christian knew was true. He held on to it in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his agony, in the midst of his agon. So the victory is, is, is when we hold on to the sword of truth, which is God's word. It's not the accumulation of our good deeds. It's not the hours of volunteer service we give. It's not how much financial offering we make. All those things are good, and please, please continue to do those things. But what's important is our belief in God and what God says is true. You see, this book that we read, the Bible hinges on the story of Jesus. From cover to cover, it's a story of Jesus and what he says is true. And so the text says that we're to run with endurance, this agon, this agony, this race that is set before us. And what are we supposed to do? Look at what it says in verse 2. We're supposed to be looking to Jesus. We look to Jesus, and that's the second point. So the first point is, is the demand of faith, and the second point is like it. What's the object or the focus of our faith? And that focus is Jesus. The text says that he's the founder, the pioneer of the faith. He's the first in a long procession. Remember chapter 11, right? All those people of faith, those men and women. Well, Jesus is first. Jesus is greater. We have confidence in our race. You can have confidence in your race, in your trials, in your agony. Why? Because Jesus was faithful in his race, in his trial, in his agony. Jesus was faithful. And so he was the first one to finish completely and faithfully. Jesus finished first. He endured to the end. And it says in verse 2, that he despised the shame. That shame that came with the cross, that open public shame, he despised it. He thought little of it. He gave it no regard, all right? He gave it little attention. Listen, he did not let shame identify himself. He did not wallow in his shame. Listen, we don't worship a Savior who is on a cross. We worship Jesus did not identify himself as a tragic hero or a celebrated martyr. Why? Look at the text. Because of the joy that was set before him. He saw past the pain and toward the prize. He was confident in the Father's love. He was confident in the Father's plan. Jesus still bears the marks of his trial. He has those scars in his hand. In his resurrected, glorified body, he still bears those marks. Why? Well, look, think about John chapter 20 in his encounter with Thomas. You remember that? Jesus said, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it into my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those, us here, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Friends, those scars were not there for Jesus. He carries those scars in his body so that you and I will not forget what he has done for us. What he has accomplished, he still has those scars in a glorified body. Not for him, for us. Those scars tell us that he has overcome and in him, we will overcome. So the text concludes. It says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we can go on, you know, ever on that one, right? But it simply means this, that he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the alpha and the omega, the lion of Judah and the bright morning star. That's who is seated on the throne at the right hand of God. That was his joy. And in the middle, in the dead center of the Father's plan, he knew that joy as he pushed through his agon, his agony, his race. He endured. He kept his eye on the Father. And he had joy. And so now you and I, we can have that joy as well. We can have the joy that Jesus had if we continue to fix our eyes on him. Listen, I, I, I tell this to my boys as often as I remember to, is that we all live underneath the same sky, but we don't share the same horizon. We all live underneath the same sky, but some of us see further than others. Some of us can see out in the distance. We have a different perspective on life, we see further. Some of us see longer and are learning to untangle ourselves from sin. We're, we're learning to unload ourselves of the weight that we just don't need anymore. We're learning that. But some of us, maybe all of us, there's times in life that we, we stumble, right? We fail, right? We fall down. We lose sight. Trials become really hard. I wasn't expecting that one. I got blindsided by that. Wasn't expecting that tax bill. You know, it just, boom, it hit me. You know, something happened out of the blue. And the burdens become heavy. Sin trips me up. I fall on my face. Let me close with this. It was uh, summer Olympics in Barcelona in 1992, one, probably one of the great moments in Olympic history. It's when uh, Great Britain's Derek Redman, he was expected to win a medal uh, that summer, and he was rounding one of the bends, and he pulled a hamstring. And if you've ever done that, he just crumbled to the track. But determined to finish his race, he got up. And in excruciating pain, 
he began to limp towards the finish line. And then in that moment, an older gentleman from the stands bolted out. This man ran right towards this athlete. Track official tried to stop this man, and they couldn't that day. And he put his arm around this athlete, and he said, son, we're going to finish this race together. That was Jim Redman helping out his son, Derek, finish the race. Listen, Christ has not left you to limp this race alone. You, me, we've been banged up. If you're breathing, you've been banged up. Some of this has been self-inflicted. Some is just circumstantial. All of it is a result of a fallen world. You and I have scars. Some of those are deep scars. The pains of this life. But you know what we do? We get up. We unload the unnecessary burdens. We repent of unbelief and we say no more. And then we let God's power, and this is from Paul, we let God's power that works so powerfully in us continue to move us toward that finish line. And we, rely, and we learn to rely on God and we keep, what, our eyes on Jesus. Because you know why? There's only one in heaven who will bear scars. And he's already on the throne. There's only one. All those scars that you and I have, all the pain, all the hurts, all the tears, all the disappointments, all the things that you had to endure or are enduring or will endure, you're not going to carry those into heaven. You will not have a scar in heaven, but you will look on him who has the scars and it will remind you and cause us to worship him in that moment that he is the one who bore our scars and carried our burdens. And we can rejoice. And that's our joy. So what do we do now? We run. We run through the agony. And we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We keep lengthening our horizon. We keep believing this gospel. Listen, the gospel that saves you is also the gospel that changes you, all right? So we keep preaching this gospel to ourselves every day. Man, I gotta preach that gospel to myself. And I see joy, the joy that's been set before us. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, help us through the power of your spirit to see above the circumstances, the trials, the pain, the agony of this life that you've called us to run and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, I pray that was, was ever for me, I pray would be quickly forgotten.
but what was from you. I pray that we would remember and learn to continue to run faithfully the race marked out for us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.